Hello, and welcome to the Warlord Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be discussing the original Warlord series from DC Comics. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing Warlord Part 1. Now, we're going to be covering the first issue, Special Number 8, from 1975, which kicked off the whole Warlord story, and then we're going to go into the first three issues of Warlord, and then we'll pick this up at some point later, assuming James likes it. We'll find out. So, James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Curious if I like it. It's kind of Conan related a little bit. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know I'm a I'm a DC fan. You're a Conan fan, and this is somewhere kind of smack in the middle of that. Exactly. It's like two worlds collided, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a DC comic, but kind of only tangentially part of the DC universe proper because it's in its own kind of pocket world or what have you. Yeah, it's got the sword and sorcery action adventure kind of stuff, kind of like Conan. Yeah. Now, that having been said, this isn't DC's attempt at Conan. That would be Eric, Son of Thunder, which is, I think, one of the things that had a preview in a later issue of Warlord. Oh, okay. So we need to review that, too. At some point. I, I was not as big of a fan of, of that as I am of Warlord. Okay. Yeah, this is kind of different. It's, it's similar, but different enough, because you get you know the whole aspect of time travel in there. Then you get the whole aspect of the dinosaurs and stuff like that. So it, it, they almost threw in a, what is that called? Journey to the Center of the Earth or Definitely. Or Land Definitely. of the Lost. A little of that too, yeah. Yeah, Land of the Lost with the Slee Stacks. <laughs> I was like, I totally got that vibe in here. Well, yeah, it was basically, I think Edgar Rice Burroughs did a, a, forget what it was called, Start of the Pier something, and it was his kind of inner world of the Earth or what have you, kind of the, the lost lands and such. And this is a riff on that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it really was. It's surprising that, well, it's not surprising that I didn't get into this sooner because this is right in my wheelhouse. But at the same time, DC does not make it easy to get this material. For whatever reason, they don't want to have it on you know, their Infinite app. And it, they have an issue of Warlord, but, and they don't typically collect it. And I'm surprised because I thought Mike Grell did a really good job with this, even here at the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No. I found it very easy to get into, because when I got into it originally, it was still on the rack. Yeah. Yeah. It came out when I was two years old. And how, how long did it go until? Like It went 133 issues and eight annuals. Wow. And that's just the first run. It's had a couple of volumes since. I would say go for the original run. This is the great stuff. Yeah. This is definitely top notch. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm not going to say it's like the best comic I ever read, of course, but it, it, was, it was engaging and it was... um. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> and it, it was nice. They didn't have the recap pages like they have today, but they kind of did the recap page in the story, you know, the big thing telling you about everything that went along with each issue, which it, it, it's kind of interesting to read old comics because it, so many writers, it's, they got, went away from that for the trade, and it, it, it's disappointing because my old mind, I love that stuff. I grew up on these kinds of comics, I mean, very literally. And I really prefer the in-story recap of what you need to know versus, because that's always going to be done by the creator of the story. And here's what they want to tell you. Here's how they yeah. want to tell you. Versus, I wonder if the previously on pages, like over at Marvel and stuff, if that's by the creator or if that's just one of the 
editors or assistant editors or production people or or who's writing that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I really this this was kind of like a sweet spot because I, I feel like, and I can't remember who said this. They said you can read kind of comics maybe five years before you were born, and you go back further than that, and it starts to feel like really dated to you. And so this is like two years after I was born, and I'm like, it, it's it's kind of nice. It didn't feel like I was reading this archaic slideshow. It felt like a 70s comic, and it, which was a fun time to be a comics reader, honestly. A 70s and 80s were kind of like, well, the Bronze Age to me is the Golden Age. Well, I mean, this is somewhere, I mean, it's it's kind of late Silver Age, early Bronze Age, depending where, I mean, this this title certainly went into the Bronze Age. There's no question about that after, you know, 133 issues. As to where exactly you draw that line, you, you kind of got to do it on a title-by-title basis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this had, I think, some of the best aspects of both the Silver and the Bronze Age. Yeah. Now, now so that Eric title, I know we haven't really gotten into the book, and I like to take you off on tangents and show you how yes, ADHD. Yes, you do. Which is fine. ADHD minds. How do they work? <laughs> okay, this Eric series that was the response to Conan. Did that come out? Do you remember before or after Warlord? Oh, after Warlord, because it had a insert preview in one of the later issues. I forget when. Okay. And it went for fifty issues again. This went for one hundred and thirty-three. But I mean, this title started. Well, we're starting with the first issue special, but the Warlord title, which we'll get to when we get to the first issue of that, I mean, this was back when non-superhero genres were still reasonably prevalent in comics. Yep. This is, you know, certainly not a superhero title by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, not even remotely. But they had war books, they had other kind of action-adventure, sci-fi kind of things at the time. And out of, I don't want to say out of this, because Arak is not connected to the story of Warlord, even though it comes out of the title of Warlord, or at least that's where it was previewed is the better way to put it. Conqueror of the Barren Earth was a backup feature that was, again, disconnected from the Warlord story. But again, if you like one, you'll like the other kind of, you know, it's the same genre vibe idea or whatever. And there were a couple of other titles that that were coming out around the late 70s, early 80s. Arion Lord of Atlantis, which was their Atlantis title. Again, very magic kind of based stuff there. That went for, actually, I'm not sure how long that went. Maybe 25 issues? Give it 36 or something? I don't remember. A couple of years. Maybe 50. All right. But again, there were a lot more kind of action adventure of of the non-superhero variety being published. That That's, I I, I know superheroes are really, that's your thing. Mm -hmm. But but to me, I I was just, I I don't want to say I was, I was different. Like, I love superheroes, but I think I love the war comics the sword and sandals genres, uh, Judge Dread, you know, stuff like that. That was just it was so different. That was more my my favorite stuff. And then I would read the superhero stuff, and I love that too. But mm-hmm. I, I I would if it was if I was stacking up my comics, it would be Conan, GI Combat, <laughs> you know, the, uh, Sergeant Fury, the Howling Commandos. It'd be that type of stuff at the top of the pile, followed up immediately by like you know Wolverine and Spider Man and all that stuff. But it it, it is kind of different. It, it, I don't want to say it's sad, but it makes you a little bit a little a little bit sad inside that we don't have that plethora of material. I mean, we get Star Wars, we're getting Planet of the Apes, but we don't get a lot, you know. I mean, yes From- and no. Certainly, I think more genres would be a good thing. Yeah, but we got this way because of what sold. That's true. Superheroes do sell. <laughs> you know, I mean, this went for 133 issues, so it 
it did well enough to stick around for a long time. But there's going to come a point with every property and every genre where the sales just aren't there to back it up. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Westerns used to be big in comics. They're not so much these days. Yeah, it's it, it's true. It, it's almost kind of weird. Westerns are really big on TV, too. Mm-hmm. It, it was My dad still loves Gunsmoke and Ponderosa and all that stuff. But now it's like Yellowstone came back and it was almost original because you haven't seen Westerns in so long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people, there are people like, wow, what is this new thing? It's like, well, it wasn't new. It's just, it was there. We just kind of went away from it. <laughs> And I and I think that does tend to happen in comics, you know, it cycles through right right now there's I feel like there's a Conan resurgence, you know, Marvel did their mm-hmm. thing and now Titans doing their thing. But I, I'm sure we'll see some stuff pop up from time to time. But the superheroes are the bread and butter and the the money the the cash cow of the comics industry. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the other genres don't so much make a comeback, but particular properties in those genres do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh on to Mike Grill, this guy. <laughs> I I was unaware, and I'm glad you told me about it. This first issue special because that's kind of a cool book where Marvel or Marvel DC was DC. just kind of yeah sorry wrong okay. company. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of going through and they're just kind of throwing out. It looks like the first issue of ideas of books they were come out in the future with. I didn't think to do my research on when the DC implosion was. I think it was a little after this, but there was oh. a period where DC was definitely going through a growth spurt. And some of it was they want to do a lot of titles. Some of it is they have a lot of ideas they want to try out. And I don't know off the top of my head enough of the background of the first issue special series to know kind of which this fell in. Because there's, what, 15 or so issues of this, and not many really went to series, but a couple of them definitely did, like like Warlord, and a few of the other characters definitely stuck around. I think they tried to do a uh, Doctor Fate revival out of this. Obviously, the character had been around before. Yeah. But this is one where far and away the biggest success out of the first issue special, I believe. And by the way, your memory is really incredible because I typed it in, DC Implosion. It was happening around 77, 78. Yeah. Right, at, right after this type of stuff was you know, coming out. So, so very, just a few years, yeah. Yeah, very clever. You, you remembered it. <laughs> well, it was funny because the DC Implosion, they basically said, oh, we're going to do all these titles. We're going to do Vixen. We're going to do, I forget what some of the others were. And they get an issue or two out of some, they don't get any issues out of the other, and then poof, they're just pulling back big time. Yeah. And it's just the the financial winds, you know, shift sometimes. It, that does happen. Yeah. It, it really does. It, but this first issue special, this was kind of cool because, like, you literally start off with, you know, our hero, Travis Morgan, in a knife fight with... At the time, I thought it was a raptor, but we find out it's a different kind of dinosaur. <laughs> Don't quiz like, me what? on the types of dinosaurs. I'm going to get it wrong six ways to Sunday. Yeah, me too. But I was like, man, that's kind of cool. What's going on here? <laughs> as soon as you open the book, very cool. This, to me, totally read like a pilot episode for a TV series. It really did. And I, I was shocked to see, because um, they're talking about 1969, you know, he's flying at 80,000 feet in that SR. I think it's a SR-71 Blackbird. I think that's what it's called, SR whatever Blackbird. I, I forgot that that plane was that old because my brothers used to play with that as part of their G.I. Joe set in the 80s. So just kind of funny. <laughs> I hadn't realized it was a Blackbird because isn't that what the uh, the X-Men tend to fly around in? It is, yeah. That's, how that's they fly hilarious. And so it's kind of funny. I was like, oh my gosh, the Blackbird, there it is. <laughs> well, what I like is that first page where he's got the knife and all that stuff. To me, that's kind of an interior cover image. Yeah. It's, in this case, 
potentially part of the story because we start from there and I guess flashback to pull back into there. But really, once you get past this page, I think where we cut back to it's not so clear. So whether it's part of the story or not, it's it's evocative of the story and again, gets you gets you hooked. These things made a lot more sense when there were multiple features in a given title or given issue. Yeah. This is the only feature in this, I think, so I don't know why they did it, but it works. It works. <laughs> and by the way, I, th- I think everyone knows this, but I thought it was really cool. Mike Grell does the whole thing. He does the art. He does the coloring. He, he did the, the... He does the story and the... Story, yeah. The line work. I don't know that he does the, the coloring. Uh, maybe not the coloring. Let me see. It says written and illustrated by, but... Maybe I not the coloring. I don't know if they've got... They certainly aren't crediting anyone for the coloring, but I've got to imagine somebody else did that. That's what... Yeah, when I saw artwork and I didn't see anyone else, I'm like, man, he must have done the whole darn thing. Which would be I, impressive. No, I would be shocked if he did. But still, just the drawing and the and the art, he's an artist that can write. And those are, in my opinion, few and far between. Yeah. Because some do so-so at some and so-so at the other. He, he actually does a terrific job on both of them. Well, having that singular creative vision, and he stayed on this title for years, it really firmly established it. But I also wonder, are there things that he had ideas for that he just never got around to, and maybe later creators did or didn't pick up with it, but would they, did they go in the direction he would have gone? I mean, there's there's so much going on in this title. Yeah. And I was surprised how much gets set up just out of the gate. I mean, we get, again, he's got to get into the lost land, so we spend a little time setting that up. He's got to go meet a few people, got to get into a jam, get out of the jam, and then kind of, again, this kicks off or ends off on the... Initial problem is is taken care of. He's out of immediate jeopardy, but he's by no means done with his adventure. Yeah, exactly. In, in these people, their their world, which we we get explanation on later. A lot of the stuff that's going on in here. I mean, it, they have advanced civilizations. You know, the the tall buildings and everything. Mm-hmm. So they're not just barbarians running around like Conan. Conan ran into these civilizations, but he, he himself was a barbarian. But here's a guy from the future. Looking at these guys, and there he's like, oh, they're they're doing pretty well. <laughs> Not necessarily the future. Okay. He's from the then that's, modern day. That's true. A different part of the world, I should say. Well, in his theory, because I forget when he gets into it. Yeah, I guess it's this one where he's like, okay, I must not have noticed my jet kind of following, I guess he says, the curvature of the Earth, and it kind of doubled inside itself, because there's a sun that never sets. He was on Earth. Yeah. Clearly, this must be the interior of the planet. And I'm like, that's a good theory, but... There's nothing to tell you it's it's gospel fact. Exactly. Yeah, we don't really know that. That's just what he's his only idea or uh, what he's perceiving and what he's looking at in the sky. Cuz if you think about it, when we do get to the part where he's flying through and such, yeah. That's not all that different it feels like from when say Steve Trevor flew towards Paradise Island and passed that barrier. Yeah, that's yeah, so very similar, evocative of that. But it, it's true. It's like almost like it's that journey to the center of the earth mm-hmm. type thing or land of the lost type thing. But because of this eternal sun, it's very lush. It's very vibrant. The people are can walk around and almost bare naked at times. <laughs> and some of them definitely do. We definitely go for the scantily clad females and such. Yeah, that, there's like a Red Sonia-esque character. It was it was just really kind of, kind of cool. But they, they give them a little bit of a different feeling. I feel like even the swords are a little more advanced than what you see in Conan, where they're rudimentary. Here, they almost look like swashbuckling swords. You know, like they're more refined 
blacksmiths. Yes, definitely there is a higher technology here and magic. Yeah. And by technology, it's not like they have computer experts or whatever, but they, like you said, they had big, tall buildings in their cities and stuff, things that you can't have this architecture if you don't have some level of science or, or other abilities and such. Yeah, and so you get these nods to Conan and nods to things that were popular on TV in the 70s, but he took it and made it his own and created his own mythos and, and, and world around it. And I, this is, I mean, you and I, you go back, you grew up on, you know, Land of the Lost, mm-hmm. you, grew up, <laughs> you grew up on, all, you know, Planet of the Apes and all that stuff. And so when you see stuff like that, it's... It's a sweet memory to us of that time in our life, thinking back to those times. It's like, man, I can see this. And I'm like, yeah, that was a cool time. I'm glad he incorporated this. Well, and I liked how he kept, I don't want to say sci-fi elements, but again, the big cities and stuff, it's not like it's a sheer fantasy adventure and that's it. There are a couple of things here and there that are definitely implying that there is a super science civilization that may have predated these guys that are living here now. Yeah. Maybe they forgot about it, same civilization. We don't know. But there's the possibility of not only a wizard casting a hex on you, or, you know, somebody whipping out a, a ray gun and shooting you or something. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the other things I, I really liked about this is Travis had his handgun. You know, yes. military pilot had that. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to talk about that. <laughs> I was going to say, there are a couple of times he's using it to go shoot off a a dinosaur or whatever, but the one that really got me was when he's going up against Demios or whatever, however, I don't know how you pronounce that name, but whatever. Yeah. he He's the big bad of the series and definitely earns that position in, in this installment. He's got this, this, for lack of a better term, a crystal ball. It's got some beam. It's starting to put a whammy on, on Travis. So he's starting to black out. So he, he whips out his pistol. He shoots it. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, is he a good shot? Yeah, he's a good shot. It's like, boom. <laughs> he shatters that without even injuring Demios's hand or whatever. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, that was funny. And then I was also thinking, man, you went through that ammunition really quick because that was his last shot. And I'm like, now you got this worthless hunk of metal, but he's like, at least they're afraid of it now. <laughs> I mean, something to that effect. He's like, well, well they saw the, last the power bullet, of it. But they don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't know how many times it can shoot. <laughs> well, and that is something they address a little later on, where he gets some more ammunition. And I think throughout the series, it's a, yeah, I've got it, but I, I don't want to waste the ammunition. Yeah, because it's so precious because these people are still using swords and yeah. fighting like gladiators and, and stuff. I mean, I say the gladiators. We even get a look at gladiatorial arenas in, in one of these issues. Yeah, I think we get that in the uh, second and third issues and stuff. And I, I was just amazed because I love that type of stuff. <laughs> I had I mean, a feeling this would hit your sweet spot pretty well. It really did. I mean, like, I'm like, man, we got gladiators in here. This is awesome. I'm like, we got a gladiatorial uprising. And it, it it's almost like you have visions and flashbacks to seeing the, the, the slave uprising, which was the gladiators along with other slaves in the Roman Empire, Spartacus. How did this knock it made into a, a streaming series? It's all here. It's like the best of all these ideas, and nobody's touched it, and they're not printing it. I'm like, I feel like there's just so much richness here, and DC's yeah. just leaving it there. And I'm just like, not even trying to do anything with it. It's, it's just, it's disappointing. I think this could have been a really good hit streaming show if they had gotten the right guy for Travis Morgan 
and really the rest of the cast, you just have to have decent actors. And I don't think it'd be hard to get good people in all the roles. Oh, yeah. And then you just follow the, 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 the template of the story and stuff moving forward. I mean, it, it, you you think of like a TV series like Lost, you know, and that's just the first thing that popped to mind. Lost, Spartacus, Game of Thrones. Yeah, where the you have this world building and the world is being ex- exposed to the viewer mm-hmm. little by little as our hero is, is getting exposed to things. And you're going, oh, wow, oh, wow, this is – and so it keeps you engaged and it gets you hungry for wanting to know more. I, I read this comic and I'm like – Oh, why are we stopping now? I want to keep keep going. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> there are a couple of things in this first issue, special issue, I, I want to point out. Yeah, okay. We get to around, I think it was page 13. They, this is back when they still had page numbers, which I appreciate. Oh, me too. He's just shot the, the guy's crystal ball. Yes. He's getting put up for the night and all the pageantry and stuff. He gets this new outfit. And okay. this is kind of his signature look or whatever through the series. He gets a headpiece and a few other things later. I don't know what inspired the skull on the the belt kind of a thing. <laughs> this is this is so funny the suit. <laughs> but it's like okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's split all the way to his navel pretty much yeah. the shirt. I'm like it's the most ridiculous costume you've ever seen. <laughs> well, but if you're living in a world where the sun never sets, it's going to get hot. Yeah, you want to be yeah, stay cool cuz yeah, you're definitely going to cook there. So, it's kind of funny, but yeah. What I really found interesting is is uh, he and Tara, the, the woman he saved, they they sleep, they wake up, and he's got this Rip Van Winkle beard going. Yeah. Again, time moves funny in this world. Exactly. He falls asleep, he wakes up, and he looks a full beard, not just like a little bit of a five o'clock shadow. What is going on? But it allows him to then trim it to his then signature look, which is very much, I was going to say like Oliver Queen, but really, it's like Mike Grell. Yeah. Mike Grell with the, the goatee and all that stuff. It, it was really cool. And I like that look. It's, it's a cool look. Now, did you notice what else happened as he's sitting there shaving? Uh, what is that? Tara has taken his watch and is using <gasps> it as an armband. Oh, that's what... Okay. Yeah. All right. Clever, clever. And he's like, well, it's kind of useless here. So yeah, whatever. Yeah. You want it, it's yours. Now, it does come into play a little later as to you know why we, we need to know that. When I first saw it, I thought she was just holding it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's on her arm bed. Uh. And then I was a little lost as to, again, time working funny here, how much time was elapsing. Because it's like, okay, he's a military pilot. He knew Russian because he was doing the solo mission and stuff. So learning another language, apparently not that hard. Takes a little time, but, you know, literally we're cutting a panel and then boom, he's fluent. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> but like you said, time flies differently here. We... And that's what's weird. I don't know what kind of time frame we're supposed to be looking at or feeling it because the beard growing, how he learns a language with one issue, a day could be a month for all we know in this world. Well, certainly overnight, a lot of time happened. Yeah. Night being a relative term. As to how much time was elapsing for him learning the language, I mean, that's something in a TV show. Do you do a montage? Do you just kind of gloss over it? You know, do you not even address it and they just happen to speak English? Did you ever see a movie called The 13th Warrior? I don't think so. I think it was Antonio Banderas. He was in it. He was like a Middle Eastern trader who got captured by Vikings. Mm-hmm. And the way they showed it with him, them rowing back on the boat, is he sees him and he's looking at him, they're going, blah, 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 blah. And, and then every now and then he'll understand a word. So they'll put a word in here and there. And then slowly it's like, blah, blah, and we're going fishing, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. You know, and he starts... Until he, it was just speaking, and he's 
then he one day he speaks. They're like, you understand our tongue just by watching us? Wow. Because he was really smart. They did a uh, similar thing in the third season of His Dark Materials. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I did see that show too. <laughs> yeah. And I loved yeah. how they did the subtitling on the show where it's all in this other font. And as the person is learning the language, certain things are flipping over. It's like, oh, okay. We're going along on the journey. That could be done so well as an episode in here where they're like, and then instead of him being in the dark, he's slowly starting to pick it up and boom, then it clicks. Yeah. If you spend a little time with him learning the language and the relationship building between him and Tara, totally works. Yeah. And actually that language barrier could bring them closer together Mm -hmm. because she's going to be assisting him and helping him, pointing things, you know, this is water, agua or whatever it's called there, you know, (laughs) yeah. I love he's got this diagram he's put together. It's got mile measurements for the Earth, and here's where the sun must be. Here's how it much works. And it's like, okay, great theory, guy. You know, no no reason to say it's wrong. But I do know at one point DC kind of retconned things to no, no, it's a pocket dimension or it's this other thing. Is but this is as good of a theory as any for the moment. I agree. I like I like the theory, and I'm rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, and I do think we got a, a really quick good exp- or good example that. Magic definitely exists, and this Demios guy has some of it when he turns that, that other servant girl or whatever into a snake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, we set this guy... Now, granted, he's got his own little... I'm going to say throne. It's a chair, but it's got, like, armrest that ends in skulls or whatever. It's like, this doesn't strike me as a guy you want to mess with. Yeah, not someone you want to be on their bad side. <laughs> I don't think even if, if Travis had seen that, that would have stopped him. Yeah. Now, one other thing. You, of course, must have noted this, this. Did you think the comics read really quick? Yes. Because they put the page numbers on there, and I realized we were getting about 18 pages of text. Yeah. And now we get about 22, I guess. So now we get, we get about 20. We've had periods 20. where we get 22 or 23, but about 17 or 18 was kind of standard at this period, I think. Yeah, but a lot of like the 80s comics or or some 90s and even this, especially the 70s, they used to be really dense with text, and I felt like this comic just flowed so well. And I don't know, I think it's because it's the one writer, creator drawing and doing this, that he wasn't wanting to gobble up all of his imagery with, with words and dialogue boxes, but he was making the world rich and giving you tons of information, but at the same time, it read so fast. Well, he was probably in one of the better positions to determine what needed to be told through writing what needed to be told through the art. Yeah. I, I, it's it's kind of, a, I, I keep saying this, but unfortunate that we don't have more, and I understand it, but we, that we don't have more creators who have this skill because I feel like when you're the one-man show, you can actually pull it off and it works very well. You can, but when you're a one-man show, you've got to be a really good writer and a really good artist. And Grell was both. Yeah, he was. And he obviously didn't like vacation, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because this came out in November 1975 or thereabouts. The first issue about a month or two later, the next one about a month or two later. But then there was a, about an eight-month gap between the uh, second and third issues. Oh, so there's a big break. Now, I don't know how much of that was they were gauging the sales or, or I don't know what prompted that, that gap. Okay. So it's not like he was just cranking these out left, right, and center. I mean, he kept the the cadence going up after that, I believe. Now, when you picked it up back in the day, whenever you started reading this, was Mike Grell still the creator on this? Oh, no, 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 no. Long after. Ron Randall, I think, was the artist by that point. I got in late in the game. It was well after issue probably 100. Oh, okay. So you just got caught the tail end. The last couple of years, yeah. 
All right, but you went and picked up all the issues later oh, on. Oh, yeah, I not only picked them up, about 14 years ago, I reread the entire run of the original series from this first issue special number eight all the way through the 133 issues and eight annuals. Wow. Because there was a new Warlord series that was coming out in 2009, and it's like, I, I remembered in reading it, enjoying it, I'd since picked up all the issues, hadn't had time to read them. It's like, now's as good a time as any, because uh, back then, apparently, I had time. I don't know where it went. <laughs> but we were I was going to do discuss Warlord, that, that 2009's first issue on Weekly Comic Spotlight, that was episode 87 back in April 2009. So it's like, I, I want to go into it with a, a position of, you know, knowledge and, and is good an excuse to reread a, a long box worth of comics. So I just sat down. I forget if it was over a weekend or, or what. It took a little bit of time. But it's like, okay, let's go through one. Let's go through the next, the next, the next. And it's an easy series to do this with. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I wonder what the reasoning is behind DC not leveraging this property. One, for other media. Like, uh, like they have you know HBO Max. They could do a series on this. I would, I would think it would be well received. I, I'm guessing, and and why they don't collect it ever in print, whether in you know trades or hardcovers, it's or even put it on their digital app. It's just, it's just befuddling how they just let the stuff sit there. This is something I think James Gunn and his cohort in crime on kind of taking over the the DC cinematic stuff missed an opportunity. Instead yeah. of doing Amanda Waller or the Creature Commandos, which are reasonably obscure things. In Creature Commandos, it's going to be animated. Maybe you'll get the war crowd. But again, that's neither fish nor fowl. Those who want the monsters may not want the war. Those who want the war may not want the monsters. But if you do something like Warlord and basically go with the tagline, if there's more to DC than just your superheroes, we've got heroes of all types, because you can almost push that as a diversity kind of theme if you wanted to. Yeah. Warlord's this white Caucasian guy, so... Yeah. But I know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's a different type of book. You know, and these days with all of the stuff they've got technology wise for like how they film the Mandalorian and other shows like that, you could do this in a way that you just couldn't 10, 15 years ago. And again, I think it's a, a missed opportunity. They could have used it to have something that's kind of charting its own course, expanding the DC universe and getting that brand away from, if I'm tired of superheroes, I should just skip all the that stuff. Yeah, this would be a perfect candidate for everything you discuss. Yeah. And 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 just like we said at the beginning, and it, it's a heck of a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I had the time of my life, you know, but reading comics, this is some of the best stuff I've read recently compared to like current comics I'm getting. It was a, it was very satisfying. It was fun nostalgic but it didn't feel dated yeah and it's it's a world that i want to just go in and hug and take it home and be like this is what i love this is what i love about comics <laughs> well skataris is a, a fun world to explore and when we get into the the warlord series itself the issues have a couple of standard things they tend to do it's not uncommon to okay let's start the issue reset the scene and then oh let's cut to a, a quick flashback in case you missed either the first issue special or the first issue, you know, whatever. Let's get you up to speed. Let's go see something cool and dangerous about this this world. And let's let's move the story forward. And, you know, quite possibly leave, you know, Travis in a, a you know, deathly peril of is he going to survive or not. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was really kind of cool because you get like the whole 
he they run into the slavery aspect in here. You know, you see these people. <laughs> Not just once. I mean, he gets captured and taken as a slave, escapes, gets captured, taken as a slave, and then gets sold into the gladiatorial stuff. I mean, he's been a slave to like three different people in the course of these first three issues of the series. Exactly. That's like a six-issue arc today, at least. Each one of those is a six-issue arc. Yeah. I'm th- every one of these pages or books is six issues. Yeah, it, it moved really quick, and he did not run out of ideas. He was still going with it. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, man, this is just a lot of fun. It's so cool. They could have just taken the Mike Grell stuff and made the TV series, you know, for, forget the stuff at the end. It might have been great, but Mike Grell just seems to be a plethora of ideas and, and very talented. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's There's a ton of material here. I think each one of these issues easily is its own episode, if not you know, an arc of episodes, depending how you want to do it. And the, the the thing is, how fast do you want to move through it? How slow do you want to go through it? You don't want to go too fast or too slow. But there is no shortage of content, cool ideas, material, etc. And I I think it, it changed a little, obviously, when Grell left the book. But it still had a lot of that fun stuff that I really enjoyed, even at the end of the run. Yeah. I'll tell you what, one thing, I, I, I don't know if you call it an Easter egg, but maybe a nod to like you get to the end of the first issue, mm-hmm. and you, and you have uh, the warlord stuck up there on the tree. You know he's Morgan, you know Travis Morgan tied to the tree. Yeah, and that's so. It, it's such an homage to Conan because Conan was captured and he was tied to a tree, almost like it was like like a cross, like a big X. Mm-hmm. And they left him there to die, and the buzzards are coming. And I saw that, and I was just like, this guy was for sure a Conan fan when I saw this. I mean, it, it was basically like he's like, I want to do some swashbuckling. I love Land of the Lost. I love this. Uh, someone said there's even some Buck Rogers in here, you know, <laughs> the side piece. And like, by the way, I love Conan too. And this guy, he is just throwing it all in here, but making it his own. Yeah. And it just was such such a fun read. Such a fun read. Oh, totally. Totally. And in the second issue, we meet one of the other kind of regulars of the series moving forward once he gets in the uh, the slave ship. I love how he's boarding the ship thinking, well, it It'll be a fun ride. This doesn't look too bad. It's not, yeah. you know, the Taj Mahal kind of a thing. And thump on the back of the head, and he wakes up. He's one of the guys rowing the damn boat. He's like, son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Now, the guy next to him. A cheese day, I guess. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. He's one of the regulars in the series from this point forward. So, Machiste is going to be, a, okay, he's like a good, and man, so you almost have some black exploitation, which was really popular in the 70s going on in here. Well, it's funny, because, I mean, you got to have the the lead character. Yep. Gotta have the love interest. You gotta have the friend who's got his back. Yeah. And you got it all here. And you got, I mean, it was, it, that's so cool. So I'm happy that Machiste is going to be here for a while because I like that dude. I love how pirates are about to take over the ship and Travis's first thing is, hey, free me. I'll join your side. And they're like, ah. They start <laughs> whacking at him with a sword and stuff. And he's like, well, I guess that's not going to work. Let's grab their swords and we'll fight. Yeah. So him and Mashise, they basically take out like 20 of those invading guys, which gets them a little bit of grace with the captain of the ship. Yeah. Not much. He sells them to uh, the, the gladiator tournament or whatever, but yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. You're not going to help us? Okay, then we're going to kill you. <laughs> that was, it was funny. Just like, hey, we'll go with whoever's going to give us a better deal, man. Really, who's giving us a better deal? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because you go... 10, 15 pages on this thing, and, and the status quo can change pretty drastically. So fast. I mean, you, you get to that point right after they get sold. It's literally just a page showing the gladiatorial training. Boom. There it is. That's it. 
you got that. You got some text on it. There are some places where there's a little more prose than maybe I would have liked. I mean, this is as fast of a read as it is. It is kind of wordy in some places. Yeah, which it's hard to explain. And if you haven't read it, but I think everyone should read this if they can, because yeah, it's wordy. They're giving you a ton of information, and yet it reads so fast. It's it's unbelievable how he did this. Well, and I'll give like that page where we've got the montage of the training and stuff some leeway because not only do we get some some exposition there but i mean like the shot we've got of morgan there with the sword and stuff i mean some of it's just some great art oh it's fantastic i love that that it's it's like a splash page that's i I, that's almost not a splash page because you get so many characters on there Mm -hmm. but it's terrific i mean seeing morgan is like you said fantastic and I just I like the costumes they put them in. Those are so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This just has some some great stuff, and I love how when those two have to fight each other, and it's okay. Travis is winning. Do I kill him or not? And you get the thumbs up, thumbs down, and we zoom in. It's like Travis's eyesight's really good because he sees the watch. Yeah, he's like Timex, <laughs> like Timex watch. What the heck? Boom! <laughs> it's on. And then it's like, okay, I'm not gonna kill my friend. I'm going to free all the other gladiators. And boom, you know, we've got a revolt on our hands. Instantaneously, everyone's up in arms and they're like, we're taking this at the end here, basically saying we're taking this world down or this country, this empire down. We're going. (laughs) Now, I think you could argue that at the end of this second issue is kind of the moment that he's earned the warlord title. Yeah, I would agree. But we have yet to see the word warlord in this comic. Nowhere, which is bizarre does he eventually get called warlord i'm pretty sure again uh, last time i read it was 14 years ago and i read some of the stuff when it was coming out and whatnot uh, he's definitely got that moniker later okay but i don't remember when it came into the series you get to the next page and you're seeing the empires and stuff and uh, and the battle scenes that reminds me of stuff that i used to love in conan i love king conan and this is people uprising against the empire mm-hmm. but conan became like the king of they called it Aquilonia or Aquilonia, A-Q-U, whatever. But with that Aquilonian Empire, you have those people with the, like, almost like that mohawk down the middle of the helmet mm. and the swords. They were like the Roman soldiers at the time, and Conan took over as their king. And so you, here you literally see almost like the warlord wearing, I would say, almost this Valkyrie or this Viking helmet. Yeah, well, and, and that becomes a signature look for him. Yeah. It's funny because we get it here, but we never get how he got that. It just appeared. It's weird. Now, the other thing on that two-page splash? Yeah. Credit for the colorist. Oh, yeah. That is awesome. So, Carl Gafford is is the one who did this. Oh, yeah. There it is. Yeah. Color by Carl Gafford, edited by Joe Orlando. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Mike Grosso, he just did the pencil. So, we finally get a colorist on here before who knows who did it. It could have been Grell. I don't know. I didn't pay enough attention to the credits on the first and second issue to know if he was credited there or not. Yeah, but we see it here. There it is. In 75, I don't think it was that common to credit colorists. Oh, interesting. I don't know, though. I Now, I'll tell you what. Another thing that I thought was really cool, where Mike Grell was really doing some interesting stuff, he did not go with the grid, because you get a two-page splash here, and literally the next page, he's getting very creative with the text dialogue boxes and the art, how he's laying it out. Mm-hmm. It, almost like that sunburst that's coming from the side. And I'm just like, Man, this guy is a cool artist. I, I I like him more and more. The more I'm reading, I'm like, I need more Mike Grell. I need more Mike Grell. I, I, I have his uh, Longbow Hunter. I still haven't read it. <laughs> I, I got to wonder what his process was. How much 
did he did he know what was going to go in that circle of text so he knew how big to make it or did he draw the stuff out and said, I got about this much room, so how well can I write that? Or, you know, and I guess this is actually where he's the one men call the warlord. So this is, I think, where he actually gets the the moniker. Oh, yeah. Yep, there it is. And this seems like something that you couldn't just, as a writer, type up this thing and say, hey, I want a page to look like this. This is where the artist typically does their thing, and then they have to work in the text around it. But since he's doing both, he boom, boom, boom. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, the advantage of doing both is he doesn't have to worry about hurting the other guy's feelings. Yeah, like, this isn't working. Can you move the guy over here and have him redraw and Well, I mean, just, just the layout of this page. If a writer were to describe, this is what I am envisioning and what I want, the artist could be thinking, well, but that was my job to figure out what it's going to look like. Yeah. You know? And if you don't give that, it's like, oh, I don't know what he wants, so, you know. Getting that that sweet spot of how do you give the artist enough description to get what you want and convey your idea, yet still give them the freedom to do what they want to do and get their expertise and stuff out of it. If you're the same guy doing both, it's easy. <laughs> you know, he's he's got some ideas of what he wants. He knows how to balance it. Did he do all the writing and then all the art? Did he do the art and then the writing? I mean, obviously he plotted it first, but I'd love to know what his process was. Unless you're schizophrenic, you're going to have an easy time on your own. And he, like you said, like if a writer is giving that stuff to the artist and detailing it, like I want it here, 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 you know, creators like to be creative. And I'm an artist, I'm creating a piece of art. If you don't feel like you're creating, you feel like you're being forced to work at that point if they give you too much direction. And then it becomes less fun. Well, in, in fairness, it is a job. It is a, it is a job, but they like to be creative and artistic, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, Anyways, uh, but I thought he did just an amazing job. The art in here, he changed up almost every page. The the panels and layouts were just completely different. And he put in a ton of text in this one, but it's still read quick. Particularly the two pages where he's doing the recap of the premise of the series. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we've got, again, one that's kind of giving both a pictorial recap of, of the first issue special with a little bit of dialogue, and then another that's got the text in the middle with the art kind of around it for the other issue or two. And imagine, <laughs> it would actually be hilarious to to do a spoof where you've got this, but then as you get to like that 133rd issue, you don't have time for any story because you're too busy recapping everything. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> I got one page of story because we've recapped too much. <laughs> if I ever do an epic saga like this, I want to save that last issue after the epilogue as just kind of this bonus thing that's a recap of the whole series. Here's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Just in case you forgot. Well, and the, the the funny thing would be to do a faithful recap of everything, but find a way to sneak in stuff that gives it a whole new meaning. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, that watch really was important. See how it goes over time. You know, whatever it is. So, but yeah, they, this is good stuff. Yeah, this was also the issue where we got like those slee stack characters, like those lizard people, mm-hmm. but they weren't, they were not slow and, you know, plotting like the slee stack out of Land of the Lost. They were dead fangs. They're coming at him and they're biting his thighs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his, his exposed thighs. <laughs> but uh, it was really kind of cool. That was a good use of a full page splash. It really was. I like that, that scene. This is the kind of stuff when I was a kid reading comics, the comics kind of looked like this. And you get to a big fight scene like this, and you just stare at it. You'd be like, wow. You can almost see the action in your mind. Like, wow. Well, and the other thing I love about that scene is he gets captured. He gets tied up. He's hanging. He's like, 
that shadow's familiar, and he looks up. He's being hung from his plane. Yeah! <laughs> that was that was kind of funny. But it's also how he gets more ammo. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's Because if you look at that survival kit, it seems to have nothing but clips. There you go. <laughs> uh, he's got a ton of ammo at this point. Ready to go. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> because up until this point, when he had wasted all the ammo and we didn't know he was going to find a ship in the future... You're like, man, he went through it really quick. Well, I wouldn't say he wasted it. He saved Tara. I think that he was a good move. He did save Tara. And they shot the crystal ball. He saved himself, so that was a good move. Wasted. He just went through it quick. Well, it's got, I don't know how many things are in one of those clips. I'm going to say 15, 20 shots, maybe? Yeah. So, and he's got at least, I'm going to say a few dozen clips in that survival kit. I, I would hope he would have put some food or something else in there, but you know. <laughs> but I- I'll tell you what. Did you get to the end of this and you felt like you wanted to keep going? Oh, absolutely. It was a ton of fun. So that that's how I felt. And that's a sign of a good book. Even though this was the the end right now, the end of the issue, and it wasn't flowing, well, you felt like you want to pick it up and read the next one. It definitely has a never-ending saga feel to it. It, it ends this mini-adventure, but you know there's tons more to come. And I mean, the way he takes care of that giant serpent thing or whatever, just hilarious. But then also, we get a kind of a one-page epilogue where we're, again, talking about these giant ruins of this, this high-tech city or whatnot. And he's like, oh, we don't have time to explore. We'll come back later. You know, who knows what we might find? And I love that image we, we land on. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know. I mean, at some point, I think they, they build on that. I don't know if it was Grell or one of the later writers on the series and stuff. But again, it's just tossing ideas out there, keeping the reader engaged of, ooh, I want to see where they go with that. and. By having that never-ending saga aspect to it, there's more these guys are going to wake up and have another adventure, you know, or maybe just walk down the street and ha- or the path and have another adventure and stuff. It's not six issues, end of arc, up, that's all she wrote, and I come in clean for a new story. Totally different writing style. And I think that's part of why for something like this, it's harder to collect, because where do you draw those, those cutoff points of, okay, this is a good spot to end a trade, or or start a new one or what have you. Yeah, it, it it almost lends itself and you know me like in the big books to be collected in like three or four omnibus like big books because there really isn't the best place to cut it with any of these stories. You could you can almost cut anywhere, but at the same time there, there's no logical place to cut it. How many issues tend to be in an omnibus? The really really big ones you get like you can they'll squeeze in like sixty. Oh wow. Typically, that's a lot. I mean, typically the big ones are 50. So you could do this in about three. Yeah, I would think they would do it in three Omnibuy, where they're doing about 45 issues, like right around there, or whatever it would take. I'm curious if they would try to find a way if they did that to end like the second installment on the end of Grell's Run or something like that. Yeah, because you'd have to squeeze those annuals in there too. Now, those big Omnibus, they're a little harder to read. They're like really thick. So... If they wanted to make a ton of money, they could even split it up into four smaller um, to buy, you know, but it depends. They could go either route for three or four. I wish they could get their act together and get to where they could just be cranking out trades of this stuff. Yeah, I would buy it in softcover. I'd buy it in anything today because you literally have to go to eBay to pick it up because they, they don't want to put it on their app and they don't want to reprint it for some reason. DC. I don't say they don't want to. I think they just haven't done it and I don't know what's holding it up. Yeah, they might not have the resources with all the... They've had a lot of turbulence and change. Yeah, certainly and I think that's some of it. Marvel's having turbulence right now, so how that affects it, I don't know. But yeah, I, I was just... I'm, 
always have my fingers crossed, and every year when we do the year-end spotlight, well, I wish they reprint Warlord or maybe some war comics. <laughs> every year, I'm like a broken record because I don't get it. Well, the thing that'll get this to where it's much more easily available, shy of hitting the back issue boxes, is if they do a, a streaming series or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, and this is something that I would think kids and adults would love to watch, read, watch something like this. Oh, totally. Totally. Because dinosaurs in there? Oh, my gosh. Kids would eat it up, having guys fighting with swords, and parents would like to watch it because, hey, the kids are watching it, but it's something cool. You know, it's something interesting. This is something that it's up almost everyone's alley, and then you have a love twist in there with the uh, with Tara and 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 Morgan. So you, you can pull on some ladies there too. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you have love, you have swashbuckling, you have fighting, you have dinosaurs, you have you know ships that crash, you have sci-fi tech, you have a mystery, you have it all right there. Well, and the funny thing is, not only have they not leveraged this in the movies, TV stuff, streaming stuff these days, I think they could have done a lot more with it back when it was coming out as a comic. Because, man, imagine how much fun it would be to see a crossover between, say, the Amazons of Paradise Island and Skartaris. Oh my god, that is, oh, that is just sitting there, that's a layup. Oh my gosh, that's so easy, they never did that. Now, another thing that could be a lot of fun, they had Adam Strange, who used the Zeta Beam to get from here to Ran and back and such. Imagine if one time he kind of, quote-unquote, overshoots Earth just a little bit and winds up here. That would be awesome. From his point of view, it's like, I've landed on a totally different planet, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. This end scene kind of implies it's not. But again, you've got now your, your jetpack and, and ray gun kind of a guy in your sword and sorcery world. These guys are, are cut from the same sort of cloth, but come about things very differently. Be a ton of fun. It would be a ton of fun. Every now and then stuff comes out that we read, you know, like we, mm-hmm. I got really excited for Hawks Pox, you know, or I get really excited for, oh, hey, Jonathan Hickman's writing this new thing coming out, you know, we're going to relaunch this universe. I'm cool with that. Or DC, maybe they'll have a good Green Lantern book and that gets me excited. This gets me excited. And it's unfortunate because I felt that excitement when I was reading Multiversity with some of the books. And then <laughs> the logical question is, hey, John, where do I go? Uh, you don't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean... There really wasn't a place to go after that. They didn't go anywhere. Warlord has more material just in those eight annuals than there was of all of of Multiversity. Yeah. Plus, there's another 130 issues of the main series of Warlord left to read. Yeah. And for people who haven't read this, uh, where did they go? eBay. That's what I did. eBay, and uh, I think I got a lot of it off mycomicshop.com and a few other things. Because I went through a, a major buying spree about 15 years ago. Wow. And then it got to the point of, I've got all this stuff, I'm not reading it, which is part of why one time I sat down and, let's read through Warlord. So yeah, if if you hit the conventions, if you go to the websites for the back issue dealers and stuff, again, I, I would recommend, obviously, Cowabunga Comics, see what they've got, always good first place to start. But then mycomicshop.com is where I've gotten a lot of things. I tend to stay away from Mile High Comics myself. Yeah, they're they're very pricey. <laughs> they're pri- they're incredibly pricey and I just don't like the the website. Yeah, oh, I, I I can't find anything on their website. It's really bad. But I mean like you like you said I do my comic shop. I first I go to Eric and if Eric mm. doesn't have it, I'll go to if it's a manga, I go to like, you know, write stuff anime or I'll go to my comic shop if if, if he can't get it for me. But Eric's usually pretty good at digging stuff up. Yeah. But a full run he probably doesn't have, but he probably has a lot of random issue. But he might be able to jumpstart this thing. Yeah, if he can give you a chunk of 50 of them and then fill in the blanks, you know, as you go from conventions, shops. And 
you go around places and people have a few issues here and a few issues there. And before you know it, you have a whole set. Oh, yeah. Now, granted, this is the sort of thing, if you went to a Heroes Con or San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or, or C2E2 or whatever, you could go hit the back issue bins and you know start with a checkoff list and just whittle your way down. This is a great series to do that with, on the one hand. On the other hand, I would not want to be walking around with a backpack full of, you know, the better part of a 133 comics and eight annuals. That just sounds heavy. <laughs> I actually had a couple of years at Comic-Con in San Diego where I was going to the booths. It's like, oh, I've never read Omega Men. Let me get the whole run. By literally a foot of comics that stack that bit tall or whatever. Head down to the car, put them in, go back up, hit another booth, hit another stack of comics, do that. You know, but at that point I was younger and carrying them down, I was able to park under the convention center, which helped a lot. Yeah. These days, nah, I, I couldn't do that. Hey, honestly, that was your exercise. That was a lot of exercise. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what? Th- this series is good enough. And, and what I mean by good enough, that it, I think it, it encourages and people should go back as you've been diving. Yeah. It, it's, it's that good of a series that I'm like, I want to go pick up a lot of back issues now. I want to go pick up a lot of stuff. Yeah, I had a feeling, like I said, this was going to hit your sweet spot. Again, I've run through the whole series about 15, 14 years ago. Really enjoyed it then, enjoyed it back when I was reading it, because I'd gotten on because one of the guys I was working with at a comic shop, this was one of his favorite books. He recommended it. I tried it out. I liked it. Well, I'm so happy you like it too, because I feel like we bonded a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been recording for a while, but our tastes, we have a lot of stuff that we like in, in common, but you know, rarely do we both get really passionate about, oh, this is like really cool. You know, like you're like Star Trek hardcore mm-hmm. and I'm Star Trek light and I'm like Conan hardcore and you're like Conan, eh, we can come, we come together here. You're Conan hardcore and DC light. I'm DC hardcore and Conan light. This is smack dab in the middle. So yeah, this is our happy place where we come together. We hug each other. We're like, yes, we love this together. <laughs> I'm going to be curious if we ever make it far enough to where they actually... Because there are a few places where we've got some people from the DCU showing up in here. Yeah, all they do. And now granted, some of it's like 100 issues down the line. Okay. And there are a few, it's like, really? They they, they chose to put this person here? Because sometimes it can work, sometimes it can't. And I think trying to take any superhero and put them in here, that's a square peg round hole. Yeah. But you take some of your more action adventure types. I mean, the the one superhero I could see really working here, Hawkman. Oh, yeah. Hawkman, you could totally see here. Oh, and he would be awesome. Oh, the winged pa- particularly uh, opposite Travis Morgan, who looks so much like Oliver Queen. Yeah. And wearing that helmet with the big wings on it. Oh, my gosh. A match made in heaven. Again, <laughs> so much they have done with this and so much more they could do with this. How they've let this just kind of languish. And part of it is they've tried to revive it a few times. They had the wrong creators on it. Yeah, you, you, I, you need the right person. Someone who's really passionate about it and someone who has a good story to tell. Good story to tell and understands how this is different than a lot of the DC Universe, but can also f- fit in with it in certain ways. Yeah, and I think that's going to be hard to find with new creators. You almost need that person who's passionate and kind of old school who's been around the block quite a bit, who's been there and is a fan of the of the property. Yeah. Because if you, if you get a good writer who's a good novelist and you bring him in, you'd be like, hey, how about this new Warlord gig? They're going to flop. They need to they need to be 
complete heroes and passions and advocate for this project. Yeah, and I I would recommend not trying to reimagine it. No, please don't. <laughs> if you want to restart it, maybe. Yeah, restart, do not reimagine because it's not broke. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're four issues in up to the third issue plus the, the first issue special. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Definitely, Loving I think it. we should come back and revisit. Let's do that. I, I, I'm there for it. That's a promise. We're going to do it. Sounds good. Anything else? Nah, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.